This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein Cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along the very last day of March 2023. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in Kiel. I can't, still can't do it. I'm never going to be able to do it. I got no credibility. Zelensky will never come and do a Zoom call address to the assembled employees of Mark Stein Enterprises. 10 p.m. in Kiev and in Moscow. They're now back in the same time zone for the next phase of the war. It's 10.30 p.m. in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, midnight 45 in Kathmandu. For all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 3 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers. I am sorry about that. It's 6 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne. First cup of coffee, maybe. 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Auckland. And a rather more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Today... I'm sure you don't need me to tell you this. Uh, Today is the International Transgender Day of Visibility. I believe Joe Biden has issued a proclamation to that effect. It is also the 300th anniversary of the death of the third Earl of Clarendon, who expired in Chelsea on March the 31st, 1723. What do these two events, the International Transgender Day of Visibility and the uh, tricentennial of the Third Earl of Clarendon's death have in common? Well, uh, the Third Earl is better known to Americans under his then courtesy title of Viscount Cornbury, under which moniker he served as colonial governor of New Jersey and New York, between 1701 and 1708. He is said to have held his own 
Day of Transvisibility by opening the 1702 New York State Assembly in drag. Supposedly, he was wearing, quote, a hooped gown and elaborate headdress and carrying a fan, much in the style of the fashionable Queen Anne, unquote. Uh, There isn't a lot of evidence for that, but posterity, at least on the American side of the Atlantic, seems inclined to regard him as trans little bit of trans-colonialism for you there. I don't personally accept it, but you better get used to it because in the transanity of a dying republic, a lot of other historical figures are going to be posthumously transitioned. So much for the Third Earl of Clarendon. Wherever you are on this turbulent earth, this is Mark Stein back with you for the next 60 minutes or so for another Clubland Q&A. If you enjoy our Friday get-togethers, come join us. On this summer's Mark Stein cruise, we're sailing the Adriatic uh, from Trieste in Italy and then uh, going down the Croatian coast uh, and uh, putting in at Montenegro and the Greek islands. And we'll have uh, Mr. Snurdly and Michelle Buckman and Ava, Leilani, Dominique, Alexandra, lots more. Uh, you can find more details at MarkSteinCruise.com. Also have a new book out. Uh, it's the uh, it's out in hardback and Kindle. Uh, if you don't care about things like getting it personally autographed by me, uh, it can be yours uh, on Kindle on the day it is officially published uh, next month. You can pre-order it uh, at Amazon or indeed right here at Stein Online. I did three telly shows this week. Thought they were pretty good. Uh, But I'm still suffering terribly from exhaustion and shortness of breath Uh, after my two heart attacks. I am determined to make it through the full hour. And as I always say, I always say I'm still totally committed to staying alive long enough to be buried at sea on the Mark Stein cruise. That is my personal guarantee to you. Let's get to your question. We've had a good uh, crop of new Mark Stein Club members this week. So I hope a few of you will want to go ahead and throw me a head scratcher. Let us get to it. Oh, Paul Cathy says, Mark, uh, thank you for reviving the superb article. I uh, posted, it's a piece I did on the prosecution of John Edwards uh, for his uh, for his out-of-wedlock baby as a campaign uh, finance violation. And... <laughs> Only in America. I used to say only in America is a joke, but it's not really funny anymore, is it? Um, I I wrote it's a piece. I put it up at Stein Online uh, this morning. It's a piece I wrote over a decade ago when they put. Now I loathe John Edwards, but that's the point, isn't it? You know, the only point to laws is for the people you loathe. You don't need a law to be nice to the people you like. It's like you don't need free speech for the speech you approve of. It's for the speech you hate and you revile. And I had total contempt for the United States Department of Justice uh, prosecuting John Edwards for his out-of-wedlock baby as uh, some, uh, what's it called, Federal Electoral Commission violation. Uh, It's this kind of sophistry that has reduced American law. You should be kicked out, uh, Americans. You should be kicked out of the common law world because 
whatever as dysfunctional as the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, blah, 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 down to Singapore or whatever. And I don't mean down to Singapore for you, Singaporeans. It's a very fine place. Um, but uh, you know what I mean. I'm just talking in size. Uh, but you should be, there all of us, Singapore and Australia and New Zealand and Jamaica, we should all get together and kick you out of the common law world for this perversion of justice that you have inflicted uh, on the uh, 300 million people who have the misfortune to be under the jurisdiction of American pseudo-justice. So anyway, I, I'm getting carried away here. Uh, what are I talking about? Senator Edwards. Uh, Paul Cathy says, Mark, thank you for reviving this superb article. I didn't see it when it first appeared in National Review and surely would have remembered it. Um, it should be issued as an amicus brief to the Manhattan Grand Jury, thus forcing any of them who can read to take notice of it. The Edwards affair is currently being revisited in comparison to what's happening to Trump, but nothing said today will improve on what you wrote some 11 years ago with your postscript here included. Well, as I said, I, I mean it. I, low, I, I get an icky feeling just being in the presence of John Edwards, as I was on a certain number of occasions during uh, whatever it was, the 2004 uh, primary campaign. Uh, but that prosecution was outrageous. And it's one of those things, these land of a land of law is not the same as the land of legalism as a land of legalisms because a land of legalisms can be anything what they did with edwards was they said that because his campaign had focused heavily on him as a devoted family man the family image therefore was part of the campaign and therefore could be federally regulated by the federal election commission and therefore his breach of his family man image by knocking up this bird in california where she was shagging her senseless rogering her uh, uh, to the point of exhaustion and siring a child by her was therefore within the purview of the Federal Electoral Commission, Election Commission. American law is crap. It's bollocks on stilts. And uh, I regret, as I said, I find John Edwards as slimy and loathsome a creature as the United States Senate has ever produced, which is saying something. But one has to have first principles. And that's what American law now lacks. So incidentally, the argument there, right? The argument there was that uh, because Edwards was campaigning on his image as a devoted family man, uh, his, his family life should, was then within the purview of the Federal Election Commission. Well, nobody ever said that a Trump did they? He's got, you know, however many ex-wives and Lord knows how many ex-mistresses and whoever knows how many ex-one-night stands. And he's a guy who goes around saying on tape that you can grab him by the bleepy, right? But oddly enough, that turns out to be <laughs> regulatable, if not by the federal justice, at least by some municipal piffling twerp uh, in Manhattan. So American law is bollocks. It's all bollocks. It's bollocks all the way down. And I, as I always said, you know, my, my friend Conrad Black, I, I, said to, I said to him 
once about all this. I said, this isn't going to work out for you. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to get you across the border and you can go to Belize. And Conrad said to me in that rather languid way, oh, you'd have to go a lot further than Belize, you know, meaning I hadn't checked out whether Belize had an extradition treaty with the United States. But my offer, I said, well, my offer stands. I offered to stick him in the flatbed of my pickup, throw a tarp over him and uh, drive him across the New Hampshire-Quebec border uh, and then all the way to uh, Newfoundland, get a fishing smack, take him over to Saint-Pierre and Miquelon, the last remaining colony uh, in French North America, and uh, put him on the uh, Air France flight from that delightful airport to Paris, uh, and for him then to find a place of exile uh, that was congenial to him. And I would have done that for Conrad. And likewise, I would do it for Trump. I advised Trump to leave the country uh, in, in January 2021 because, as I grasped, and too many people didn't, they're serious about putting him in jail. Uh, and so I, I, would have, uh, I would have done what I offered to Conrad. I would have done for Trump. I would have put him in the flatbed of my pickup and, uh, and, and thrown a tarp over him and got him across the New Hampshire-Quebec border and then on a fishing smack to Saint-Pierre-et-Miquelon and he could have taken it from there. Uh, I'm not sure I'd make that, as I said, I believe in first principles, but I'm not sure I'd make that uh, offer for John Edwards because he'd be a very annoying person to be stuck in a long car ride with. And it is a long car ride uh, from the Quebec border over to uh, Newfoundland, where you then get the uh, take a boat over to Saint-Pierre and Miquelon. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I should just... No, on second thoughts, maybe I should just leave him in the back of the pickup with the tarp over him, and he can uh, make the best of it there. But it's an evil system. Rule, the rule of law. There's no equality before the law in America. Others, do you know the funniest thing? I watched American cable TV for the first time in a long time because I've been preoccupied with other things. I've been proofreading a book. I watched American cable TV for the first time in a long time. And nothing gave me a laugh so much as these people would, would go, well, this is a very dark day for America, because if this were to stand where some, uh, you know, rinky-dink little prosecutor in Manhattan can, uh, can, can, uh, can prosecute a former president, then what's to stop Republicans doing that in red states to Democrat? Pre oh, don't make me laugh. Really? <laughs> the Republican Party doesn't do things like that, does it? Because they're a very house-trained uh, opposition, and it's almost as if they know that these these uh, th these innovations uh, that the Democrats come up with are not Republicans to play with. So the idea here we have a here we have a first family, supposedly. I've never referred to Joe Biden as President Biden, and I don't intend to start now, but he, he's there. He's in the Oval Office, and Trump isn't. He's in the Oval Office with his 10% for the big guy. He's getting money from the Chinese Communist Party. From the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, 
Hunter Biden's getting money from the Chaicoms. Jim Biden's getting money from the Chaicoms. Whatever the former daughter-in-law, whatever she is, uh, also. So it's this pathetic to, oh, this is a very dark day, because then it might be tit for tat. And imagine what might happen if somebody were to indict, uh, in a Republican state, were to indict Jimmy Carter. It's not going to happen, is it? That's not how they always say that. What happens is the Republicans, uh, you know, Trump is subjected to stuff like this. Biden isn't. Biden is protected by the deep state. This is what is the, the, the conservative commentariat is so far behind the curve when you watch cable TV. It's the, these guys are galloping ahead. I don't even know what's going to happen. You know, on Tuesday, we're told that the the DA wanted Trump to surrender on Friday. But those guys, uh, which today, but the the uh, Trump campaign wouldn't agree to it. So it's going to be Tuesday. Um, he's going to be fingerprinted. He's going to have the mugshot, the mugshot that uh, Joe Biden will be running on in campaign 2024. And uh, and uh, they, the handcuffing situation is unclear because that's up to the Secret Service, apparently, as they'll have the final sign off on whether he has the handcuffs in the back, the handcuffs in the front. Uh, you know, we now understand that for most of the time that Donald J. Trump was the nominal head of the executive branch in the United States, that a significant chunk, if not a majority of his employees in the executive branch, did not uh, regard themselves as working for the head of the executive branch. We know that's not how the FBI thought of it. That's not how the CIA thought of it. That's not how General Thoroughly Modern Millie on the Chiefs of Staff uh, thought of it. That's not how a lot of them thought about it. It's it's actually trusting the Secret Service more than I would in his situation uh, to bet that they're a f the, the, among the few people who are genuinely working for him. Um, I note also, by the way, that Ron DeSantis, his instant reaction was to say that uh, as the governor of Florida, he wouldn't he would have nothing to do with any extradition requests, which which got him a lot of praise uh, from uh, Sean Hannity and co last night. But it does actually present a legal problem, does it not? In that if the prosecutor, for example, decides to oppose bail for the accused felon Trump, uh the judge will have to take into account that his permanent place of residence, the governor has already said that he's not going to comply with any extradition requests. Uh, so we don't know how complicating a factor that will be on Tuesday. It's all very interesting in that boringly legalistic way of which every aspect, as I said at the very, actually, it's such a good line. I might, uh, let me see if I can pull it up. And reread it about uh, whatever, uh, blah, blah, blah. What was it called again? Oh, yeah, the uh, that John Edwards piece. Here's the last piece of my John Edwards column from 2012. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
the, well, actually, I'll tell you what, I'll read the whole paragraph. Don't often do this, but I think I will. The great English jurist, Lord Moulton, considered the most important space in society to be the, quote, middle land between law and absolute freedom in which the individual has to be, quote, trusted to obey self-imposed law. That is, a gentleman should not lie for political advantage about the paternity of his child. When he does so, it is a poor reflection on him and on those who colluded with him the Democrat Party and the media. What it is not is a crime. As bad as Edwards's behaviour is, the Justice Department's is worse. The urge to ensnare in legalisms every aspect of human existence, including John Edwards's rutting, will consume American liberty. I think I'll say that again. The urge to ensnare in legalisms every aspect of human existence will consume American liberty. So here we are, and we had the usual wankers on cable TV last night saying, oh, well, yes, all we have to do is let the process play out. Uh, I've, I've let the process play out in the District of Columbia Superior Court for whatever it is, 12 years now. And uh, just my... A little bit of the case has consumed over, as I said, 12 years and $5 million. That's why uh, there's a, fa- a famous cliche attached to my name. The process is the punishment. So here we have uh, a, a, a uh, elected Democrat acting, I would say, on the say-so of very high-up Democrats, including whoever's pulling Uh, uh, Joe Biden's strings in the Oval Office. Here we have a, uh, and and again, this gets us back to that little interchange between Biden and Pierre Polyev when Biden was in Ottawa just a few days ago and Justin Trudeau was introducing him to various persons. And uh, the next in line was Pierre Polyev and uh, Monsieur Polyev said, uh, Pierre Polyev, leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition, and <laughs> Biden squinted at him and went loyal, op- loyal opposition, and uh, yeah, you can see why he was befuddled for a moment because in the United States you can get a Democrat uh, district attorney to indict the leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition, the American equivalent thereof. You can get a, you can get a Democrat DA to indict uh, the president's political opponent in the upcoming election. And just to go back to that processes, the punishment thing, uh, that means that uh, over the time he should be going to pancake flips in New Hampshire and uh, talking up the joys of ethanol in Iowa, He's going to be busy signing off on various motions and whatnot uh, to get him out of his legal jeopardy. Um, Chris Davis says, Mark, is the indictment of Donald Trump a reflection of fear on the part of the DNC of him winning in 2024 without a pending prosecution? Or is it Alvin Bragg aiming for a career turbo boost and 15 minutes of fame. Alternatively, is the DNC being strategic 
by believing Trump will now become a shoe-in to get the Republican presidential nomination, believing they can defeat him in November 24, as he may well succeed in his defense against all charges. Given Trump's base support, which whilst unlikely to materially increase is solid, one might posit that this hobbles DeSantis, who the DNC fear the most, given his momentum in Florida. What are your thoughts, please? Well, that's a very interesting uh, question, Chris. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that the Democrat thinking on this is that this will make him a shoo-in for the nomination, uh, and they like that because they think he's going to be the easiest guy to beat in the general in the general election because they've already beaten him in a general election. I put You can put beaten in quote marks if you want, but that's to say if, if he is the nominee, they think they know where they need to do the usual shenanigans. Oh, I'm terribly sorry the counting room got flooded. Oh, I'm terribly sorry we've had some malfunctioning uh, vote machines in Maricopa County. You know, that makes it all... It's if if you if if you've already if you've already uh, got away with your shenanigans against the guy, you know where you're going to do the shenanigans again. So I do think that. And the question here, the other thing is, I love these lawyers because lawyers never think in real world terms. So they're saying, oh, this is by far the weakest case because what he's done here in New York is he's taken what in New York it would only be a misdemeanor. It's a misdemeanor that doesn't get prosecuted. And anyway, it's beyond the statute of limitations. But because he thinks there's an underlying crime here in the expired uh, uh, crime that's beyond the statute of limitations, uh, but that crime is a federal crime. And it's clear the New York statute, this isn't how any normal person thinks about it. They've got, you know, they've got rather... Uh, boring. Uh, they've got a, uh, what they regard as a stronger case in Georgia, but it's rather more boring because it's uh, it's about whether uh, you know it's it's to do with Trump's Trump uh, delegitimizing the election and all the rest of it, uh, and that's fine. Except that it keeps it keeps it may be a stronger case, quote unquote, but it keeps uh, the fact that. Uh, the shenanigans of the 2020 election in the news, if you indict him over that. It does what none of his rather uh, unimpressive lawyers were able to do in uh, at, at the tail end of uh, 2020 and, and, and get a judge to take one of these cases and actually hold a trial and have evidence and all the rest of it. Uh, I'm not persuaded that the Democrats actually want to try uh, what went on in Georgia, which indicting him for that certainly opens the gate to. Whereas this case is just about, you know, uh, porn star Stormy Daniels. So it's going to be porn, 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 Stormy, Stormy, Stormy. And then the other lady who's apparently in the case, we don't know. As I said, we haven't had the uh, indictment, which again is part of the general crappiness of the evil 
uh, American justice system. So you say the guy is charged, everyone goes bananas, uh, people are filling up this uh, Alvin guy's Twitter feed. But, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. He hasn't actually even said it. All we know is that he's accused. We don't know what he's accused of, which again is crapola central. I mean, I can't stand. I won't say what. You can probably guess what show it was last night, you know, where the one expert was introduced as the man who knows more about the Constitution um, uh, than anybody else. Uh, And it's, uh, you know, we're way beyond that. I mean, all this has been done under the Constitution, and it's Constitutie-Tootie-Tootsie goodbye as far as the Constitutie-Tootie-Tootie is concerned. It's way beyond that. It's way, it's way beyond that. They think they've got these, they think, you know, Stormy is a bit damaged goods. But the, the, other, the other thing in there that we don't know anything about is uh, this Playboy Playmate uh, with whom he supposedly had a 10-month relationship. So we don't know, you know, again, it's this it's this weird thing. Uh, we're told he's an accused man. We don't even know what he's... Everything about, everything about the American, and I say this as someone who's only been on the, the mildest end of it, with interlocutory appeals to the sclerotic... Uh, District of Columbia Court of Appeals and all the rest of it. But it's a toilet. Don't tell me there's no equality before the law. You know, Hunter Bi- the position of Hunter Biden, uh, the, the position of everyone at the time of the last election was that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. The FBI had it at the time. They knew it was genuine. They'd done nothing about it. What it shows Listen, they, they supposedly investigated Trump because they thought Trump was a Russian agent, right? What the Hunter Biden laptop shows is that Joe Biden is a Chinese agent. Now, he's not a very good Chinese agent. He just stumbles around. If you think about it, if you think about it, he, he, he just stumbles around talking about chocolate chip ice cream as he did in reaction to the Nashville shooter business. Um, but uh, who knows? Maybe that's just a brilliant act. But the FBI knows because they've got the they had the Hunter Biden laptop for a year before it came out in the New York in the New York Post. And again, this all takes this doesn't this what's happening to Trump doesn't take place in a vacuum. It takes place in a world where the BRICS, which is whatever it is, Brazil, Russia, India, China. Saudi Arabia. Those are all important countries. I know even as you list five uh, foreign countries that the eyes of, uh, you know, a a, a lot of people are glazing over. But oddly enough, there is a rest of the world and the rest of the world is planning and advancing its plans to tank the United States dollar. And at that point, the floor falls away like it does in one of those James Bond movies where he's in an elevator and, uh, and, and the floor opens up and he's like uh, spreading his legs and standing on the edge trying to stay. You know, it's like that kind of thing, right? Uh, the floor opens up and everybody falls through. And as for Ron DeSantis, 
I don't quite, uh, uh, you know, people seem to assume that he is going to be uh, a, uh, a in competition for the Republican nomination. I'm not actually too sure about that. Uh, but you would have to bet, none of us know really how this play out. It might be, you know, Bill Buckley was very wrong about the 1998 midterms, William F. Buckley. Um, he thought it was going to be the shot heard round the world after all the Clinton impeachment, Clinton, Monica, Lewinsky, all the rest of it. And uh, it wasn't because the left didn't care about the sex and on the right, they didn't want to hear about it. They'd been hearing about all sex uh, for a year and they punished the Republicans for making them have to listen to oral sex. I don't know how that, none of us know how this is going to work out. None of us really know what this Playboy Playmate business is about. But if uh, it looks like the polls initially look, it may well be that Ron DeSantis is not going to be getting into the race after all. What's weird about this is that, as I said, uh, did I say this last week? I've said it somewhere or other, I think. You know, normally by this stage, my general store, uh, there would be tons of, you know, Republican presidential candidates passing through. Uh, it's slightly weird that there've been uh, that there's so few, uh, and that I think means that Trump has got a clear run, unless this somehow damages, uh, is perceived to damage him, and right now it isn't. So I'm not sure what this means for DeSantis, but at the moment I would say it makes a uh, a run less likely. A guy in Hong Kong uh, writes, "Hi, Mark." This Trump indictment makes me sick. I don't know how this doesn't push the nation to the brink of velvet divorce. Not so much that it's Trump, but the blatantly obvious two-tier justice system. Trump needed a reboot outside of his trip to East Palestine. Palestine, uh, forget which it is. His campaign has been about him, not us. Hopefully, this will be the boost that his campaign needs, as this will bring him true victim status. What do you think? Will this help him? Also, overall, can the West, the US in particular, pull out of its mental slumber or social media distractions and find its way again? I'm sadly not convinced when a body that has a 9% approval has a 90% election rate. That's the uh, an interesting point there, that whether the system in the U.S. is capable of course correction. Nobody likes Congress. Nobody likes the people in Congress. And yet, uh, as uh, as uh, just a guy in Hong Kong has said, it has a 90 percent election rate. I think I think obviously this is working for Trump right now because it's perceived to be outrageous. How out? Well, here's the question, you know, the idea is by indicting Trump and not releasing uh, the cause of the indictment, not releasing the indictment itself, which is, again is weird and it's a sign of a crap and evil justice system. I can't stress this enough. Uh, it's not normal to do that. It's it's in, in fact, it's an outrage. It's in fact, you know, uh, for uh, it would be outrageous if it happened to any of you or if it happened to me. If they said, oh, Mark Stein has become the first Canadian guest host 
of the Rush Limbaugh show to be criminally indicted. Oh, that sounds serious. What is it? Well, we don't know what he's been, but he's been indicted for something. Outrageous, outrageous. Anyway, that, uh, that, uh, so it's certainly helping him. It's certainly helping him at the moment. And as our Hong Kong correspondent uh, suggests, that ought to be reason enough for him to get his uh, re-election. Well, not is it a re-election in the Grover Cleveland sense? It's a re-election campaign, I guess. Get his re-election campaign in slightly better shape than it's been so far, and I hope he does that. He could do with some newer. He's not being well. You know, the fa- fa- fascinating thing is uh, an hour before uh, the indictment uh, was issued. He was giving an interview at Mar-a-Lago to Mark Levin. He needs to uh, widen his circle of uh, acquaintances in that uh, particular respect, I would uh, I would say. Uh, where are we now? Yeah, oh, I'm, I've uh, I got so carried away, I've left it a little bit late for our piece of music. But let's uh, pause uh, from the hell of the passing Sharivari for just a moment. Here's one, by the way. I get all these uh, boomer rock types. Uh, you'll know who you are out there who berate me incessantly for being Mr. Squaresville uh, and not digging the rock and roll. Well, uh, here's one for you guys. Did you know that a week or two back, the fella who wrote Layla died? And right now, uh, across the planet, people are going, whoa, hold up there. Eric Clapton died. No, 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 not Clapper. But his co-writer on Layla, Jim Gordon, who was the drummer with Derek and the Dominoes. He was a very fine drummer, very much in demand. He's the guy drumming on Classical Gas by Mason Williams and various other hit records. But his main contribution to rock songwriting is as Eric Clapton's co-author on Layla at the dawn of the 70s. Jim Gordon then uh, got various mental health issues that developed into schizophrenia, and he started hearing voices, including that of his widowed mother. And in 1983, he was back home with her, heard voices telling him to kill her, And so he did, trying first with a hammer and then more successfully with a butcher's knife. Jim Gordon was tried for the murder of his mom, Osa Marie Gordon. And because his schizophrenia had not been formally diagnosed before the killing, he was denied an insanity plea and sentenced by the state of California to life in prison. Ten times he applied for parole Ten times he was denied. Mr. Gordon played with almost every big star of the era. Alice Cooper, the Beach Boys, John Lennon, Steely Dan, Frank Zappa. He's drumming on our friend Maria Muldor's hit record of Midnight at the Oasis. But just over a fortnight ago, in the state psychiatric penitentiary in Vacaville, California, he died almost entirely forgotten and unmourned. Um, When I say Jim Gordon and Eric Clapton co-wrote Layla, in fact, they wrote their respective bits of it entirely separately. 
And there's some thought that Jim Gordon nicked his bit from his then-girlfriend, Rita Coolidge. And Clapper has spent the four decades since his co-writer was convicted of murder, uh, removing all the Jim Gordon elements from the song and returning it to the ballad it was originally meant to be. Uh, I don't know whether it would have been as big a hit uh, had it been introduced as a ballad, and it remains officially credited in all versions to Messrs. Clapton and Gordon. So here's Mr. Clapton's most recent take, uh, just a, a year or so back during lockdown in the UK, to which he very famously objected, and for which he was damned as a deranged science denier. Meanwhile, his old bandmate, Jim Gordon, was four decades into his own rather longer lockdown. Here's a lockdown Layla. What do you do when you get lonely? Nobody's waiting by your side. You've been running, hiding much too long. You know it's just your foolish pride, Layla. You got me on my knees, Layla. I'm begging, darling, please, Layla. Darling, won't you ease my worry now? I tried to give you consolation Ran your old man and let you down Like a fool, I fell in love with you You turned my whole world upside down Later, you got me on my knees Begging, darling, please, Layla. Darling, won't you ease my weary mind? Make the best of this situation before I finally go and say, Please don't say, never find a way. Tell me all my love's in vain. Got me on my knees, Layla I'm begging, darling, please, Layla Darling, won't you ease my worry Layla Got me on my knees, Layla I'm begging, darling, please, Layla Darling, won't you ease my worry
Sung by Eric Clapton in 2021, uh, written half a century earlier by Eric Clapton and Jim Gordon, a convicted murderer who died in prison earlier this month. I played that version because when I was a kid and heard the Derek and the Dominoes hit, I always heard that line, darling, won't you ease my worried mind as darling, won't you be my honey pie? Uh, which doesn't sound like Eric Clapton at all now I think about it. But uh, in those days, you couldn't just click on your telephone and Google the lyrics. Uh, this is Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It's quarter to nine British summertime, which is quarter to eight Greenwich Mean Time. And something either ahead of that or behind of that, wherever you are. Let's get back to your questions on this day after we learned that the first president of the United States to be criminally indicted would be Donald J. Trump. Juan Otero says, I think this country is disintegrating as we speak, and there is not another one to go to. I confess I am sad. I hope fervently that Trump prevails and wins. Indeed. Uh, He should win, but he shouldn't have. Again, I go back to this thing. He shouldn't have to. People think it's a when when you're uh, dragged up on a crook charge uh, and then people somehow present it as a normal court victory. If people are saying, (laughs) you know, it was fast. Again, another, as I said, I watched American cable TV for the first time in a long time. And the uh, the guy said the the guy is actually gaming out what's going to happen, and he's thinking it's okay for Trump because Trump is going to win at the appellate stage. That's the Court of Appeals in New York. That's where I wound up uh, on the CRTV thing. So I know a bit about that. Uh, we were uh, in front of a rather mercurial uh, judge in the trial court in New York, uh, and. Uh, she was prone to issue judgments and then reverse them, uh, you know, a week or two late. I mean, extremely frustrating. Again, not like a judge. I don't want to go. Anyway, we appealed. So she reversed. She reversed the first. Let me see if I can get this right. Judge Gordon had awarded me legal fees in the CRTV case, which, as you know, is another distinction in America. The the uh, costs follow the event, as they say in in Canada, which means that if you lose, you wind up paying the winner's legal fees. Um, and that's the way it is in England and Singapore and wherever you want to go. But uh, they don't have it here. But uh, Judge Gordon had, because of, you know, the underlying reality of what uh, Katz and CRTV did to me, had awarded us the fees, the legal fees, over a million dollars. That's that's expensive, isn't it? 
And then uh, Judge Branston, I think, in the New York uh, what, Supreme Court overturned that. And then we had to go to the Court of Appeals where five judges gave me the million bucks in legal fees back. And people are saying, oh, well, so Trump, yes, he's probably going to lose at the jury trial level because it'll be 12, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be 11 Democrats and then one guy from the Socialist Workers Party on the jury. Uh, but not to worry because it'll be reversed at the Court of Appeal. Do you know how much this is? You're so crap, you don't know how crap you are. This is what a supposed conservative jurist is arguing. Uh, so Trump's OK because all he's got to do is, uh, yeah, sure, he's going to have to go through the tedious chore of a trial and lose at trial and then have to appeal it to the New York Court of Appeals. <sighs> come, 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 come. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have to go through that. Uh, I don't want to have to go through this kind of rubbish. I don't even want to have to go through the Ofcom business. For example, I'm suing Ofcom. I don't really want to have to go through that while I'm just preparing to get together the Mark Stein crews because I've had a couple of heart attacks and I'd like to focus my somewhat diminished energies on getting things in shape for the Mark Stein crews. OK, so now we have under America, under the Constitution, we have the indictment of the presidential candidate for one of the only two political parties that America's had for 150 years. He's supposed to campaign for president and at the same time prepare for a trial in New York, his massive defeat at trial, and then putting together an appeal uh, to the New York Court of Appeals. You know, legalisms. For God, I can't, I'm, as much as I loathe the American left, you know, they're focused on power. The American right is mostly focused on crap. And, uh, and uh, it consoles itself with trivia. Oh, Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez said something stupid today. Let's all laugh about that for three hours on the radio. Right? The left is focused on screwing you and you're mired in trivia. And then the brains on the American right are just doing this, uh, gaming out the legal, as I said, I'm just a Canadian. But I came up with whatever it was 15 years ago. I just came up with that line. The process is the punishment. Right. What part about of that? Don't suppose genius conservative jurists, jur jurisprudential experts get when they're going on cable TV. I don't want to I don't want to get annoyed. Gareth Roberts says, should Trump stay in Florida? Well, I answered this at the top of the show. I said he should have uh, left the country in January 2021. They want to put him in jail. They want to put him in jail, like Harvey Weinstein is in jail. He thought he was too powerful. He's going to die in prison. Um, I'm not comparing Trump and Harvey Weinstein. Uh, at all, because Harvey Weinstein is, is an absolutely loathsome and disgusting figure. Um, and, and Trump isn't. Uh, not in that way. Trump actually is very nice and rather less repair. I mean, I would say in terms of, 
you know, just casual encounters. Trump is one of the more normal presidential candidates I've ever met. And actually, you know, people who are nobodies stand on their state. That's the other reason I don't like finding senators and governors and congressmen and other creeps in the general store come primary time, because most of them find it very difficult to... I've told before the story of Senator Ted Kennedy sharing the water ferry with him, you know, uh, was standing in the open air, the water ferry from uh, Logan Airport over to mainland Boston, and he's not capable. He's not capable of interacting with normal human beings. Trump is, actually. Trump is. He's among the less weird and creepy uh, U.S. presidential candidates I've encountered. Douglas Hunter says, Mark, I look forward to seeing you in July. Hopefully the live version, not the burial at sea. Oh, you'll love the burial at sea. It'll be fantastic, Douglas. You won't want to miss that. Um, as disciplined as the Marxist Democrats are, do you really do you think this is really a play to ensure that Trump, with all his negatives, is their 2024 opponent? Uh, thanks for doing these Q&As, Doug. Well, that is definitely their thinking. They think he's the guy they can beat. Well, they think he's the guy Joe Biden can beat. And they're not convinced that Joe... I mean, the, the thing from their point of view is that Joe Biden... There's a lot of people that Joe Biden could beat uh, because... Um, He's protected in a strange way, but he's protected just enough, I think, to ensure that they can drag him over the finish line if they want to. So I'm not persuaded this theory that any normal Republican candidate beats tr beats Biden, whereas Trump with his negatives won't beat Biden. We don't know where this is all going to play out by the time it's it has done. But, you know, as I said, the central fact is that America doesn't function. It's not a republic. It's a dump because republics have equality before a true republic has equality before the law, because the essence of a republic is the citizen. The building block of a true republic is the citizen. American citizenship has been basically dissolved because, you know, people who, some some guy who 20 minutes ago, his skiff just landed on the North Shore of the Rio Grande, he has as many rights as you because citizenship has been dissolved. And without citizenship, you can't have a republic. And without equality uh, before the law, you can't have a republic. Patrick Gagan says, Hello, Mark. The death of the United States continues. I have nothing else to say except that my heart is broken and I miss Rush. Yeah, Rush always used to say, I'll tell you when it's time to panic. Uh, I wonder if the indictment of uh, the uh, Republican presidential candidate in 2024 would be time <laughs> to panic. Um, and uh, the the interesting you know the interesting thing about this is that this goes all the way down this lack of equality before the law matt tybee was testing testifying about the twitter files at congress some of you will know about this some of you won't on the very day when he's in congress testifying about the uh deep state putting its thumb on the scale in the 2020 election 
what happens? Well, the deep state know he's out of the house. So they send the IRS round to the, his house that day while he's testifying in Congress. It's all thuggery. It isn't, you know, all the... Oh, and again, uh, I, I understand the pro forma throat clearing that goes on among my friends at Fox News. So there's all, <coughs> this is the greatest country in the history of countries, but this is a very dark day. for You don't need to do, the, the throat clearing is, the pro forma throat clearing is pathetic when the IRS, the, what they call, I, don't, I can't even imagine that in a Canadian context, his majesty's treasury coming around to kick your door down. Uh, it again it's a very it's a whole other level of corruption that goes here the purpose the question here is even if trump won the 2016 election but he wasn't ever in full control of the executive branch because he was mired in the phony investigate. They thought he was a Russian agent. No evidence for that at all. It was based on a dossier paid for by Hillary Clinton and then backdoored into the FBI and the FISA court as so as to appear to be a real thing unconnected to Trump's presidential rival. Corruption. All the people who did it have now got book deals and cable news contracts. It's a corrupt crapple. Stop doing the throat clearing. This is the greatest country that's ever existed. What you have, you're you're going to go down. For a start, if it was the greatest country that ever existed, if it only lasts a couple of centuries, big bloody deal. Because in the span of humanity, that's a blip. That'll be a footnote in the history books. Okay, this is a time to get real and be serious. There was a fantastic moment. As I said, I watched cable news for the first time in ages. Jesse Waters. I love Jesse Waters. He's got some senator on. The um, the guy, it will come to me, Josh, uh, what's he called? Josh Hartley, is it? Uh, it's slipped my mind. Come, I should know this because I've interviewed him on Fox a couple of times over the years. But um if it was that, and he did this thing, we don't want to hear, uh, you know, uh, that you're going to go back to talking about TikTok, and we don't want to hear that you're just going to express your outrage. What I want to know is what you're going to do. And and the senator uh, sort of uh, didn't really have an answer for him, which suggests that they would like to just go back to talking about banning TikTok or whatever other cockamamie distraction they've arranged for us. Sal Tessio writes, Senator Ted Kennedy drove a woman, not his wife because she was at home pregnant at the time, into a creek at Chappaquiddick, then went home and took a shower, thus leaving that woman to die. No grand jury was convened, there was no indictment, and Kennedy pleaded to the violation of leaving the scene of an accident. Contrary to what the Democrats say, some people are obviously above the law. And then you have Donald Trump, who is considered below the law, even when it's obvious that no crime has been committed. There's no hope for America. Yeah. Uh, that's all true. But the, 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 point, the point about 
the Ted Kennedy thing. It's yeah, it's true. There was no grand jury. There was no indictment. But again, just to emphasize Lord Moulton's point about self-policing, you don't need a court. You don't need a grand jury. You don't need a prosecutor. You don't need a judge. You don't need a jury to tell you that what Ted Kennedy did is wrong. That should be obvious to the citizenry. So it's part of what Lord Moulton would call the self-policing. A man who uh, flies in his car, he's boozed up in his car with a young chickie in the passenger seat, and they fly off the bridge and they're in the lake. And he, uh, his first thought is to get out of the car and leave the chickie in the car, right? Pressed up against a shrinking air hole in the corner of the car that hasn't filled up with water, because when he got out of the car, the car filled up with water. You know, that's uh, that actually ought... That's not just leaving the scene of an accident. Um, that's uh, That should at least be... I forget what you have in Massachusetts. Ma- manslaughter in whatever degree it is. Because again, you know... She might have survived a lot longer if he hadn't opened the door and let all the water in. But he did. And here's the thing. You, you shouldn't need a grand jury. You shouldn't need a prosecutor. You shouldn't need a judge. You shouldn't need a jury to tell you that's a loathsome, repellent human being unfit for public life. You should know that. It's part of Lord Moulton's sphere where the citizen self-polices. Yet instead of that, the electors of Massachusetts made him the victim and elected him and re-elected him uh, for whatever it was, 40 years, the next 40 years after that. Absolutely disgusting. Eric Dale says, Mark, while we're all distracting ourselves with the Trump indictment, shouldn't there be more focus on the overthrowing of the U.S. dollar in international trade? Brazil and China just concluded an agreement to conduct trail in the one or the Brazilian Real. It seems that the U.S. media are missing the biggest story of the century in real time. Yeah, this is the background against which uh, the Trump indictment should be seen, which is that on the world stage, America is dying before our eyes. Uh, I discussed this with Peter Schiff on the Mark Stein show a week or two back. Uh, And again, I come back to the question, what's holding the joint up? You know, what the advantage, the uh, America, everything, the mat, everything in your house is made by uh, uh, America's successor, would be successor as global superpower, uh, the the Chinese. Uh, Everything. Uh, America spends money that it hasn't got on a scale no one has ever done. So we have officially 32 trillion in debt by the federal government, which nobody's ever paid back. Nobody's ever run it up and nobody's ever paid it back. And the only reason America can do that is because it's got the global reserve currency. If it was Belgium, it couldn't do that. If it was New Zealand, it couldn't do that. But because the dollar is the global reserve currency, it can do that. So what's happening? Well, as Eric said, uh, the BRICS guys, Brazil, Russia, India, China, Saudi, they're all advancing their plans to yank the rug out from under the dollar. Uh, And it's not going to be the biggest 
story of the century, you know, the point at which an empire ceases to be and the Chinese take the long view because they're not doing they're not doing three hour talk radio shows. Uh, call us and tell us the name of your favorite superhero. Um, they they think of they don't think of the American post 1950 moment. They don't even think of the two centuries since the Battle of Trafalgar. Uh, when the Royal Navy settled the question of whether England or France would dominate the 19th century. So they don't think of it as two centuries of Anglo-American imperium. They don't go back through the French and the Spanish and the Portuguese. Uh, they think of it as half a millennium of a uh, Euro-American-centric uh, world that was an aberration, and the world is now returning to its rightful rulers. And I would doubt that the Indians particularly see it that way, or the Brazilians particularly see it that way, or the Russians particularly see it that way. But what they are all agreed on is that the American moment is over. And I've said before, and it's worth, you know, saying uh, again that there ought to be there ought to be a serious level of discussion if you don't want the American moment to end. You know, I was on TV when After America came out, which is a book that holds up and uh, as a publicity gimmick, Moody's very considerately decided to downgrade America, uh, um, America's credit. Uh, the day my book came out. And I happened to be guest hosting Hannity that night. And uh, Eric Bowling, who was then at Fox, uh, was one of the guests. I asked him about this downgrade. Uh, so that America now came below countries like Norway and New Zealand. And he was going, America, we shouldn't even be on the same list as these. These aren't real countries. We shouldn't be competing in the same league as these. There should be a separate hit parade just for the United States, like in the World Series, which is just between American teams plus the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And, uh, and he said this in all seriousness, right? It's crazy talk. It's crazy. This thing, this deal, this Brazil-China deal has concert. If you live in uh, Idaho or you live in suburban Connecticut, or you live in Atlanta, this Brazil-China deal has consequences for you and how you live. So just saying, ah, these are loser foreigners, they should be in a loser, they should be in an upside-down hit parade for losers, not in the same hit parade as... This is is part of the reason why we are... And that's a guy on the right. Hmm? That's a guy on the right, and he's not living in the real world. Israel Pickholt says, Dear Mark, your Douglas Murray replay yesterday reminds us of the time when everything was Islam, Islam, Islam. Russia was passé, and you assured us that China would grow old before it grew rich. Today, it looks very different. Today, the future looks like China versus Islam because those are the real rising powers. Who wins, says Israel Pickholtz. Um... Uh, when I uh, said that China would grow old before it grow before it got rich, that actually is true. That actually is true. Don't forget that China is not. This isn't like the late nineteenth century when uh, Germany and Britain and America were competing to be the dominant 
global economic power. And they were all, um, you know, broadly similar in their economic energy. They thought the thing, the way you became uh, economically successful was to have a genuine domestic market for which you made products. And those products then developed such a successful international reputation that you exported them around the planet and had fantastic global markets. And Britain and Germany and America all did that. Now we have a situation where there's no real market for much of China, apart from the coastal boutiques of China. Once you get uh, inland, it all start, it's not so far as it was. You don't have to go far before you find it's not so very different from the way it used to be. Secondly, it didn't develop these products. It was basically given the manufacturing rights to all the products that were invented and developed in America. And if you do that on a sufficient scale, then uh, and if you do it on Chinese terms, then eventually China gets to develop uh, products and so forth of its own. But as I said, uh, if we go back, well, actually, I said in both my books, After America and America Alone, because of the one child policy, uh, which has given it a deformed, uh, which existed long enough for it to get a deformed population demographic. You know, if two people can only have one child, then you've got an upside down family tree. And the point I made there is that because of this profound structural weakness in China, uh, where it will get old before it's got rich in the sense that any other country, in terms of GDP, not just nominal GDP, but GDP per capita, it has an incentive to act fast, very fast. And in case you haven't noticed, because uh, evidently whoever, you know, uh, uh, in the uh, Chinese Politburo, whoever got the, uh, there's a bootleg Chinese edition of America Alone. <laughs> that I don't get any royalties on because some bugger in China just stole it. And uh, and that, uh, whoever in the Chinese Politburo read it, uh, evidently got the message that it was in their interest to move fast, and they have been moving fast. Um, and that's the, the problem. Now, Islam has the uh, opposite problem. It has huge manpower, but it is completely economically moribund. Uh, so that uh, if you take oil out of the equation, there is nothing, generally speaking, that the Muslim world makes that is of any, but it that, that is of any interest to anybody, in which anybody would miss. Go on, you know, just go through your kitchen and turn up everything that's in your kitchen and see how often it says "made in Sudan" or "made in Waziristan" or whatever. So uh, they have the opposite problem, and and but they but. What's interesting about the world's emerging alliances is that they're interested in emerging, in coming together for the purpose of screwing over their common enemy, which is the United States. Uh, and that's the that's actually the real issue. Uh, you know, once once America's gone, uh, then they'll they'll sort things out. China, Russia. Uh, the Middle East uh, will sort things out between themselves. But but the assumption of the American moment being over is, I mentioned this before, I couldn't get over when I was convalescing in France. 
you know, I was trying to stay calm. And as you know, my uh, nurses were not keen for me to be on the laptop Googling around. But, you know, they'd let me watch a Mireille Mathieu special on French TV or whatever. And when it was over, there'd be a news bulletin. I was staggered at how uh, there was, for, for days and days and end, days and days on end, zero news about America. And it, was, it wasn't so very different when uh, I was at uh, GB News. You know, Nigel Farage would be always interested in Trump and would be always doing something about Trump, but that's because he's uh, a friend of Trump's. Uh, otherwise, very little American news, less and less than I've ever... You know, I, I did very well in the 90s with Clinton's trouser dropping. If there'd been a third Clinton term, I'd be, I wouldn't have had my heart attacks because I'd have been retired in the Bahamas for the last quarter century. Uh, so it's the, uh, there's a, there's a, I don't, I said to James Dellingpole that I don't think the West matters much anymore. And you do get that sense. I just want now, you know, Lindsey Graham said last night, Sean Hannity, send money now to sendmoneynow.com because we got it. No, no, no. You've got enough money, you lazy ass. Creepy little guy hanging around my daughter and her friend at the Haverhill County Fair, wanting to make them two of his rotating first ladies. Uh, send money now to sendmoneynow.com isn't going to cut it any more than it did in the last election, you crapped out wanker. Uh, this is a time actually for citizens to this is a this is a time for citizens to express their outrage independent of the Republican money machine. That is the only way you are going to do it, because right now in New York, in New York, you can rampage up and down. You know, Trump. Uh, uh, what was his thing? Uh, I could uh, right now when he was in campaigning in 2016, I could shoot a guy on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Big deal. In today's New York, anybody can shoot a guy on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. You won't. You'll, you'll be out without bail in 20 minutes after you've shot the guy on Fifth Avenue. So shooting the guy on Fifth Avenue is fine in New York. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but whatever this Stormy Daniels cases is another thing. Okay, I'm getting a bit too worked up now. So let's have a bit of music to close. Um, unusually for this show, we're going to be in boomer rock mode right to the end. Not just Layla, but another celebrated lady of song uh, from more or less exactly the same time, the late 60s, so a couple of years before Layla. Keith Reed died a week ago. You may not know his name, but he wrote all the lyrics for the songs of Prokel Harem, including their very biggest hit, which was number, well, number one around the world in uh, 1967. And my old chum, uh, Diana Mosley, one of the M Mitford sisters, widow of the British fascist leader, Sir Oswald Mosley, um, and in fact the only person on the planet able to say that Churchill came to her first wedding and Hitler came to her second wedding. Um, Diana picked this song as one of her Desert Island discs on the BBC, and she listened to it uh, from 1967 on for the rest of her life. She told me she liked all the Baroque flourishes because she was a baroque kind of gal uh, but she also liked keith reed's words and she sang in a rather languid upper class voice to me 
the bit about her. Oh, I always like the line, turned cartwheels cross the floor. It's a good lyric, a good lyric. The music is, according to which side of a famous lawsuit you take, uh, it went all the way to the House of Lords, the first musical copyright case to do so. Uh, the music, according to which side you come down on, is either by Gary Brooker and or Matthew Fisher, but the words are indisputably by Keith Reed. This is not the Procol Harum version, but one in which the late lyricist's text is a little more prominent, uh, courtesy of the chap who introduced the world to Windmills of Your Mind. Here is the actor and singer, Noel Harrison. We skip the light fandango Turn cartwheels across the floor I was feeling kind of seasick crowd called out for more The room was humming harder As the ceiling flew away When we called out for another drink The waiter brought a tray And so it was that later as the miller told his tale That her face at first just ghostly Turned a whiter shade of pale She said there is no reason and the truth is plain to see But I wandered through my playing cards And would not let her be One of sixteen vestal virgins Who were leaving for the coast And although my eyes were open they might just as well be closed And so it was that later As the miller told his tale That her face at first just ghostly Turned a whiter shade of pale Whiter Shade of Pale. Noel was the son of a far more famous actor, and indeed, thanks to my fair lady, a far more famous singer, Rex Harrison, Sexy Rexy. Uh, I can't quite believe that in the course of my life I've met three generations of that celebrated thespian dynasty, all no longer with us. Sir Rex, his son Noel, 
and Noel's darling daughter, Catherine Harrison, such a fine actress, lovely lady, and dead far too young. That was her dad singing the lyrics of Keith Reed, her face at first just ghostly turned a whiter shade of pale. Keith Reed died a week ago in London, so he is now the ghostly face. Rest in peace. And I know what at least a few of you will be saying. Stein, it's not the lyrics that made that song a hit. It's the lift from Johann Sebastian Bach's Air on a G-String at the front of the Procol Harum version. So why aren't you playing that? Oh, sorry, we don't have time for any Bark borrowing. Rick McGuinness's Saturday movie date, Tal Backman on Sunday, and more of the Mark Stein Show to update you on Trump's travails, all coming up at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, light up a cigar. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet, the mild cigar. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.